Amen. Well, good morning, ACC. I'm so excited to be here. Like Miles said, I'm our youth pastor. So that just means I get to hang out with 6th through 12th graders, very different on either side of the spectrum, both super fun. Um, but it's awesome. Actually, if you're in 6th through 12th grade or you're a parent of somebody who is in that age range, I just want you to know we always have a little bit of a gap in what we do in our ministry from December to January. We have a lot of college students who serve with us and they leave. Everybody's taking breaks and vacations and stuff. So this year we decided to produce a lot of content and put it on our Instagram. So at ACC Youth YTH. Yes, parents, it's cooler without the other letters. Um, we have a lot of different stuff up there, some funny, some serious. Um, we have a daily little devotional thing. And I'm really passionate about that because students, I don't want us to isolate ourselves over this break. And so if you're a parent and you're like, hey, my student actually doesn't have Instagram or doesn't have a phone, if you reach out to me or any one of our leaders, we'll send the content right to them. But I'm really excited about that just to bridge the gap in our ministry. But like Miles was saying, I've been here for a little while. Um, I'm really excited to be here this morning. He was talking about some of the momentum that our youth program has been able to take off with. And that's been powerful. It's been so much fun getting to hang out with your students, or if you're a student, I'm, I love hanging out with you. Um, but what's really powerful is that comes from the top down. So we talk about Miles, but we also have elders that lead this church. And it's incredible for me and just for our other staff, staff members to be under their leadership. They push vision and guidance so well for us. And the other cool thing is y'all see Miles preach most weeks. And we can all agree he's very, very talented at taking the word of God and making it applicable to our lives. But the really cool thing that I get to see in him week in and week out is that he's desperate for the Lord to use him in whatever situation that is, even if it's literally just setting it up for me to get to preach today. Because the powerful thing that he knows is that no matter who's standing on stage, whether it's him or Matt or uh, myself or Gage, we know that we need the Holy Spirit to speak through us to you. Um, it could be really good, and you'd be like, that was funny, that sounded good, they sounded confident, but we really need the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So I just want you to open yourself up to that. We're passionate about that. We believe the Word of God does not return void, and so I'm really excited to be here this morning. And so a few things about myself. Miles mentioned I love Christmas. I'll get back to that in a second. Um, my wife, it, we've been married for about a year and a half. She is amazing. Yes, Dana Pate, thank you for being excited. Um, we actually also just had our first child, and I think we're going to have a picture up on the screen. He's super cute. Um, his name is Maverick. I think the nap so hard jokey shirts are really, really funny on babies, but generally just on babies. Um, Gage made a joke last week mentioning, thank the Lord that his son didn't have to play baby Jesus. Well, our son did. Um, and it was awesome and super fun, but Ann and I were a little nervous and pacing side stage the entire time. Um, we're like, he's in the manger. Is he going to freak out? He's on stage. But it's been awesome. I'm really excited to raise my son in a kids ministry led by Karen Snyder because it's been super, super powerful. Yeah, we're really excited about that. Really excited. Quick shout out to my fellow Bills fans in the room, Buffalo Bills fans. There we go. There's a few of us. It's shocking. If you know about the NFL, we just clinched the AFC East for the first time since 1995, the year I was born. So that's crazy, but we're very excited about that. Um, like Miles said, I do love Christmas. I love Christmas so much. Gage mentioned last week that we had a little bit of a dopamine hit, which is just a chemical in your brain that makes you excited or happy when we think about Christmas memories, when we get excited about Christmas. When he said that last week, I was like, man, I must get like a double hit every single time because I just like get antsy. Um, it starts in August. I start bouncing. I'm like, ooh, we're moving into the time, the good time of year. And then October happens and it's Halloween. And I'm like, all right, we're really close. Like, let's just get to game time. And then November 1st is game day. I'm like, it's just too much fun to, to wait for so long. But 
I want to connect back to what Gage was talking about last week. So Gage walked us through 400 years of waiting between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we had a gap in the story of the Bible from the people of Israel to when Jesus came. And so I want to pick up right there. So if you have your Bibles, hold them up, hold them up for me. I love my students. One of them walked in and said, I'm so sorry I don't have my Bible. And I'm like, I'm going to publicly shame you, but I won't do it, but I love you. Um, Miles and Gage both believe that Jim Carrey's The Grinch is an overrated Christmas movie. If you disagree, like you love that movie, please keep your Bible up in the air for me. Thank you. Thank you. These are the people that you want to watch Christmas movies with. We just know how to have fun. It's fine. Um, It's awesome. Open with me to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, right at the end of the Old Testament, right at the beginning of the New Testament. We're going to open right there. Just the first... First chapter of the New Testament. So if you are getting there, or you'll get there in a second, you are probably looking at a lot of names, and you're like, okay, the youth pastor is going to read through the genealogy of Jesus. That's bold. Yes, we are. We're going to read every single... No, I'm just kidding. We are going to go through it, though, because I think it captures the story of Israel through the ages with the focus being on Jesus. So when you read Matthew, a couple of things you need to keep in mind. His focus, his story that he's trying to tell us is that he's showing that Jesus Christ is the rightful king that was promised to Israel. He, he writes about the kingdom. There's a lot of um, this happened so that the prophet, the words of the prophet would be fulfilled. You see a lot of those early on. So Matthew's trying to show a Jewish audience. He writes to a Jewish audience, and we get to read in on that now, that this guy, Jesus, fulfilled all the prophecies. So we'll start in verse one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So that's two really important things right off the bat. Like if you're a Jew reading that, you're immediately like, oh my word, that's a big deal. Because promises made to Abraham was that God would bless him so that he could be a blessing to all nations. And then the promise to David was that, hey, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a descendant that will sit on your throne forever, that will establish a kingdom that will not end, and he will reign forever and ever, and your line will not fail. So the Jews have not seen that come to fruition yet, but they're waiting expectantly for that person. So automatically, Matthew's declaring, this is who this guy is. Let's walk through some of these names real quick. It starts all the way back with Abraham. We see Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver, so that's tough for him. Um, Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That's a crazy story. Um, Pretty messed up family line we're seeing so far. So if you feel like, hey, my family's crazy and I'm about to be around them for Christmas, just know Jesus is with you in that. Um, We see in verse 5, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Obed, whose mother was Ruth, so two women one of whom Rahab was in a profession that you do not want to be involved with. And then the other one is like a female biblical example of of what it means to be a woman of God, which is really powerful. So we see these ups and downs. We get to King David. So Israel has become a nation now. God is like promised what he promised Abraham. They're now a nation and a land with all of these blessings. So they're kind of thriving under King David. David was the father of Solomon. This is in verse 6 whose mother had been Uriah's wife. If you heard the story of David and Bathsheba, another kind of messed up story there, that's in Jesus's lineage, which is crazy. So then we see Reboam, which is Solomon's son. One of the main reasons that the nation of Israel split in half. 
So this unified people of God split in half because of the mistakes of the people of God. And so what happens there is we start to see a decline in the nation of Israel for a lot of reasons, idolatry and all of these different things. So they start losing some of these promises of God based on their actions. And so we see when, when the law is taught, there's blessings and curses all throughout that. And they start to lean into some of these curses because of their actions. So the northern nation, which has most of the tribes of Israel, has a line of kings that, that were not in David's line. They eventually get taken into captivity by Assyria, and then they kind of make their way back, but they're, they're not really fully back. Um, that's actually where the Samaritans come from, was, was a remnant from that northern kingdom. Um, we see, as we keep going in these verses, these are all kings of the southern kingdom. So most of them are bad. A few of them are good. They have all these problems. We see in verse 11, they eventually get taken into Babylon, in exile in Babylon. That's where we get stories like Daniel and different things. So now Israel has been taken into captivity time and time again after they were freed from captivity by the Lord in Egypt and brought in into the promised land. So they start losing out on these promises. They eventually make their way back from Babylon. They have a second where they start building back the city, building back the temple. If you see Zerubbabel in there, he was part of that whole thing. So it's, it's going up for a second, but then it crashes again because like Gage mentioned, Alexander the Great comes in and a new kingdom subjugates the Jews. And then they, they break free for a little while and then the Romans come in. And now they're under oppression from the Romans. And so this is the time that Jesus comes into the story. So what we see is promises of God Things that Israel was believing in continued to get broken because of the faithlessness of God's people. And through that, we see, as we read through the Christmas story, people like the Magi and the shepherds and a prophet named Simeon who meets baby Jesus at the temple and a woman named Anna who meets him right after that. All of these people express an expectation. I've been waiting for the Messiah. I've been waiting for this guy. And we see as Jesus gets into his ministry, there's a lot of people who are like, I have been waiting for this promise of God to be fulfilled. And so I just started asking the question, what is it that held them through when all of these other things seem to be going so terribly? When the nation of Israel has had a bump, but then crashed, when they've been taken into captivity time and time again, even though they're promised to be free, they make mistakes over and over but what carried them through was the hope that God would fulfill his promises to them. And so I want to talk about hope today. It's this powerful, powerful Christmas theme. If you're a note taker, the title of my sermon today is Hope is Coming. Yeah. Hope is Coming. And so like I said, hope is a common Christmas theme. We usually talk about hope and peace and joy. I feel like those are the three that are usually on like a, a fireplace mantle if you hang stockings on them, you know what I mean? Um, but I get really excited about hope. I think it's a really, really powerful idea, and our world thinks that too. Think a lot of the pop culture, powerful superhero movies that we talk about, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. Side note, your lead pastor, Miles, thinks Lord of the Rings is overrated, and he's just wrong in that, and that's okay. So if anything will show you that he's human, that should show you that he's human. He is wrong sometimes too. Um, generally not when he's up here, because he does his work in the Lord's Peace Room, which is awesome. But think of all of those scenes in those movies. They paint this dark hopeless picture, villains everywhere, enemies, it's really dark, and then one hero or a guy or a group of them are like, no, there's a chance, even though it doesn't look like we have a chance. And so when we start talking about hope, it's this idea that's, that's future-focused, it's based in what could be better going forward, and it's not based on anything you see kind of in that moment. So our world sees that, and I just want to tell a quick story um, about me operating in hope. So like I said, my wife and I have been married for about a year and a half. Um, we were friends first. Great way to go, guys. Be friends first. You might be like, I'm worried about the friend zone. Well, let me finish my story and I'll explain to you why that's okay. Um, 
your friends first, get to know each other. So we actually both were LDPs at this church together. Um, we've been hanging out. We had a lot of same friends. We would hang out in groups, all these things. A little slow on the uptake on my end, and I start to realize, I'm like, hey, she's pretty cute. She loves Jesus. She's a prayer warrior. We love hanging out together. So slowly but surely, I'm like, okay, wait, this might be happening. So I pray about it over winter break 2017 because I'm super spiritual, you know what I mean? <laughs> Trying to be patient. Um, and eventually, I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask her out. So I was like, I'm going to be patient. I'm, I'm going to finish reading Single Day and Engaged Married by Ben Stewart, so I'm prepared, you know what I mean? Um, that was a great plan, except for the fact I told basically all of our friends that I'm going to ask her out on a date. So they, of course, were super trustworthy and didn't tell her. Just kidding. They definitely told her. And she's over here being like, man, he's telling everybody else that he likes me except for me. And so she was, meanwhile, kind of getting mad. I'm thinking, man, we have a chance. This is going to be great. So I finally asked her out on a date. And she, my wife is so kind. She really, really, really tried to let me down easy. Her goal was to close the door, slam it shut, be like, this isn't happening. Like, let it go. Let's just be friends, move on kind of thing. So that was her goal. What she accomplished was not quite that. I walked away from the conversation being like, so you're telling me there's a chance. You are telling me that there's a chance. And now we have a baby together. So you can make it out of the friend zone. Not what I would suggest, but if you're in the friend zone, hope is coming for you. Hope is coming. But just that little story kind of captures the, there wasn't really anything helping me hold on except for hope, right? Hope is that little jump inside of you that's like, Everything looks like it's going bad, but there might be better coming forward. Hope is the thing that keeps me watching my sports teams when we're getting blown out, like in the fourth quarter of just like, damn, maybe, maybe they'll come back. That's been most of my life experiencing as a Bills fan up until now. So we really are excited that we're good. That's why I had to bring it up. We've been bad most of my life, guys. Just let us be excited about this. Miles is so sweet. So many times he's like, man, did you see the Bills win? I'm like, yes. He's excited for me because we've suffered for a long time in our Buffalo Bills fandom. It's so off topic. But anyway, um, hope is that voice inside of you that says there has to be something better than this. So if you wake up after doing things that you didn't want to do, or you feel super isolated, or you're really, really tired after being around your family for about 30 minutes into Christmas Day, that's the thing inside of you that says, there has to be more than this. There's a chance of better in this situation. And so our world sees the value of hope, puts hope out there as this is the thing that can help us. And it's a really powerful thing that we experience as humans. But the problem is, if we put our hope in anything in this world, I want you to think about the one thing that you're like, man, if I got this, it would be awesome. Like this could make my life better kind of thing. Anything we put our hope in in this world is going to fail us. So even if it's that, that, that brand that you're trying to start fails or you succeed, it's not gonna fulfill you either way. Even if you make all the money in the world or get a platform that you really wanted or that guy or that girl or you you know, win or your sports teams wins, any of the things that we hope for in this world are good things. Like they're not bad things in and of themselves, but what we do mistakenly is we try to fulfill ourselves with that. And so the problem is our world looks to hope, but actually no, offers no real hope that can satisfy those longings in us. It's always gonna be for the next thing or something more. And so the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, actually like tried this out. He literally like tried to fulfill himself with everything this world had to offer. And his conclusion was, it's all meaningless outside of the Lord. And so what I want to do is look through this Bible um, and, and kind of talk about hope from a biblical sense. There's 181 verses in the Bible that use the word hope. Miles gave me about three hours, so we're going to go through each and every one of them together. It's going to be awesome. 
I'm totally kidding. I don't want to listen to myself for that long. So, but I did read through each of these verses because I wanted to do the work to know, okay, what does God show us about hope and what should we hope in? And so I, I wrote this definition down, just a, a rough, imperfect definition, but what hope is biblically. Biblically, hope is expectation for the fulfillment of something promised. Expectation for the fulfillment of something promised. Notice right off the bat, it's not really about how we feel. It's not really about situations or circumstances that define our reality. It's based in what God has said, because he's the only one that doesn't change. That's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can have confidence in his promises. But hope biblically is when we hope in what God has said, what he has promised to us. There's a quote um, from J.I. Packer that I think we're going to put on the screen, Um, an incredible theologian that we lost this year in 2020. So he said, the Christmas message is that there is a hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because of the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. And so we look at that. He says, hope, hope of pardon. So all of the brokenness, all of the hurt in our world is rooted in this idea of sin. If you've been coming to church, you've heard this idea, but sin is the brokenness in us. We choose things other than God, and we're all struck with it. From the moment we're born, which is crazy to me because I look at my son Maverick, and I'm like, you haven't really done anything wrong. You might kind of like get on me and your mom's nerves when you're crying too much and we don't know why, but like, what have you really done wrong? But the truth is it's an inherent condition that we're all struck with. And we can see that more clearly than ever in 2020, because the world seems like it's falling apart at the seams. That's evidence of sin in each and every one of us. So the hope of Christmas is that Jesus came to fix that problem. He heals sin. He heals us from our sin. And so we also see hope of peace with God. Church, Religion, just following the rules and and trying to learn everything we can about this book is not meaningful unless its foundation is a relationship with the Lord. That's that's why Jesus came so that we could have a relationship. He said, I came so that I might show you the Father. So we, we have a relationship with God that wasn't possible before. And so we have a hope for that that transforms the world that we live. We also see hope of glory. Hope is hope is in future focused, right? And so these promises we experience in part here, but we will get to experience fully. And so we'll kind of come back to that idea later on. Um, Biblically, I also wanted to mention this. False hope is mentioned in the Bible a few times. And when false hope is mentioned in the Bible, it's always related to idolatry. So a lot of times we hear that word, it's like, okay, that's the people of Israel, like following other gods, worshiping other gods, idols, like things that we're like, oh, we don't do that as Americans, but like We've got a lot of idols. When things are more important to us than what this word says and obeying the Lord, that becomes an idol. We live in a world where fame and money and positions and promotions can all become idols. We live in a world where our rights were like, oh, I deserve this, different things like that. Those are the things that are idols because they take us away. My son can become an idol. I can care so much about trying to help him that it's actually going to hurt our relationship, hurt his chance of a relationship with the Lord, and hurt my relationship with the Lord. And so at the end of the day, I need to put him under my allegiance to God, which is crazy to me, but like, we have to do that because that's actually where we thrive in human relationships in our life. And so whether, whether through suffering or success, blessing or burdens, hope tethers us to true life. And here's the other thing about hope. It's not something that we just passively have. That's the bad news is that hope, let's say hope is on this end of the spectrum. Um, on this other end, sometimes we, we use the word hopelessness, but a better word I think would be despair. There's, there's no hope. It's like when you're at rock bottom and you're like, there's no chance of better. But another thing on the side is idolatry that we just talked about. So there's a spectrum of hope on this side, 
despair, idolatry on this side, caring too much about what the world says is important. And so a lot of us, I would say, are right here in the middle, right? And it would be nice if we trended towards hope, but the problem is we actually trend in the other direction. So when we don't actively take hold of hope, when we actually don't actively focus on the promises of God, that starts to drain away and we get cynical and pessimistic and negative to our friends. We, We actually turn to look a lot like the world when we're supposed to stand out from the world. We start to look a lot like the news cycles that we watch and we're supposed to stand out and be different than that. Not because we're better. It's not an arrogant thing. It's just Jesus Christ has redeemed us so that he might reach other people through us. And so we have to stand out by choosing hope. So it's a really simple, really practical step for us today. Choose hope. And I wrote this line down. It'll be on the screen if you want to write it down. Choosing hope is, is to remember that God's promises are greater than your circumstances. God's promises are greater than your circumstances. And so you might be sitting here and, and despair, hopelessness but might be more where you've been trending this year because let's be honest, you had a, a 2020 kind of year. You lost people because of COVID or other reasons. Maybe you lost a job or people close to you lost their jobs. They lost businesses. We feel we've been isolated because of shutdowns, different things like that. And so maybe you're like, that, that is where I am. Like Tyler, my circumstances absolutely feel hopeless. And I think going into this new year, this is where we can, can kind of flip the script on 2020. We can kind of shift because actually what God does in those circumstances, it's, it's hard and I'm not minimizing any of that pain, but he actually takes those circumstances and he more powerfully works hope in those situations where we choose it. Because let me tell you, it's gonna stand out to people who don't know Jesus around you if all of a sudden you're choosing hope in the midst of those hard circumstances. And then you also might be in this room and a little bit like me and you're like, okay, 2020 has like been collectively hard for us, like as a world, right? But like personally, it's kind of been a good year. Like I'll be honest with y'all, one of the main things I'm gonna remember about 2020 was that my son Maverick was born. Like that's awesome, that's really exciting. Like this year has been hard, but for me personally, my experiences have been more positive than negative. And so for those of us in the room that are like me, that's where we need to focus on choosing hope because again, those things that have been positive are gonna become idols if we don't actively choose to hope in the promises of God. Those are good things. Like my son being born is something that I praise God for every single day. But it's not more important than what God has promised me. My circumstances are actually like lifted by the promises of God. And so we need to choose hope, whether we've had a good year or a bad year. You might need to kind of focus on hope if the election hurt a little bit too much. You might need to choose hope if you focused more on maybe the politics of this pandemic than the people being hurt by it. And that's not a stance one way or the other, but the stance is that God's word stands above everything that's happening in this world. His name, Jesus wins, is on the wall because we believe he stands above every storyline that's happened this year. You've seen a lot of storylines this year from various different parts of our world and parts of our society, but the one headline that will stand forever is the headline that Jesus wins. And so that's what we have to focus on, those promises, promises of peace and purpose and joy. We got to open ourselves to God moving in and through us. And so what I did is I wrote down three physical metaphors that help me remember and I hope help you remember what hope is in us and how we choose it and why we need it in this world, okay? So first one, hope is, that's each of these points are gonna fill the phrase, hope is, hope is an anchor in the storm. 
an anchor in the storm. If you listen to the words of Cornerstone, anchor within the veil that comes from Hebrews 6.19, where it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And so if you read in that passage, it's a little complicated because it's talking about some Old Testament stuff and it attaches Jesus to this guy, Melchizedek, in the Old Testament. And the high school boys group text is literally Melchizedek's boys because we went through Hebrews and they were really confused about that idea. So we still talk about Melchizedek. But the point of that passage is that the hope talked about that is an anchor for our soul attaches us, ties us to who Christ is, attaches us to to the promises of God. And so this is a really important idea because you might be like, okay, you know, I kind of want to be free, want to be able to do whatever I want. Like, I don't really want to be tied to anything. That's a little bit of a negative idea in our culture. But the truth is like in a storm, you want an anchor. Whether a good storm or a bad storm, having a newborn baby is a good kind of storm. It's hard. It's a little hectic, though. You might be in a bad storm with all those negative situations that we were just talking about. But the truth is, you want to be tethered to the person of Christ because he is the rock of all eternity that will not shift. You've heard the story of the guy who built his house on the sand. We want to build our houses on the rock. And so we want to be attached to who he is. And so just a, a story that kind of exemplifies this. People ask you when you have a baby, like, oh man, is it crazy? Is it super powerful? And yes. And honestly, sometimes it still doesn't feel real, even though he's been with us for two months. Like I look at real adult people and I'm like, I cannot believe this baby is going to get there. So it's even crazier to me that Jesus chose to come as a baby. I think there's a lot of power in that. But the truth is, people ask me that question like, man, what is the Lord teaching you? And, and sometimes I struggle with what the Lord is speaking through me without practical images. And so the Lord reminded me of probably the most powerful moment that I, I've had with my son yet. So it was probably day two of his life. We're still in the hospital. Anne's taking a nap, so I'm trying to be quiet, trying to keep him quiet. He's awake. We're doing the little skin-to-skin thing. I'm in, in one of the very comfy hospital recliners, <laughs> leaning back and holding my son, right? And I'm like, I could tell him about a lot of things. I could tell him about how great the Bills are doing this year and how much we love them. I could tell him about Auburn. I could tell about him about his mom, about friends, about our church, a lot of things. But instead, in that moment, the Lord kind of showed me, hey, just tell him the gospel. And so I'm like, okay, he's not going to really fully understand that. But I want, as he grows up, him to see the story of the gospel through the words that my wife and I say, but also the life that we live. Because I realized, and if you're a parent, you know this, and if you will be a parent, we need to know this, we cannot save our children. Like, I have no power to make sure that he knows Jesus. Like, I can't save him. I couldn't save myself, and so I definitely can't save him. So I need Jesus to move in him. I need Jesus to show him the hope, and I can set him up the best he can. Like, seriously, y'all, amen that we have the kids program that we have here because I really think he's going to hear about the name of Jesus a lot being at this church. And so I can show him this story, and I want to tell this story with my life, but I also know I need Jesus to show him the hope that resides in the name of Jesus because I also know that he's going to go through storms. Jesus promised us that in this world we will have trouble. We will have trouble but take heart because he's overcome the world. So I really want my son to be tethered with an anchor to the person of Jesus because he'll be able to go through whatever storms happen in his life through the name of Jesus. And so that's why we want hope to be an anchor in the storm for each of us. Second one, hope is, hope is a spark igniting the fire of faith. A spark igniting the fire of faith. A little bit longer, but Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so faith and hope, very similar, right? Like we always kind of attach those two together, but they kind of break apart in this idea that faith is more of a confidence. Hope is this tiny little piece 
that can spark something within us. And so sparks happen from friction, right? Like sparks get kicked up by the flint if you're trying to make a fire or if you have a lighter and you hear that click, that's, that's friction causing a spark that's lighting a fire. And so the powerful thing is I truthfully believe that hope coming out of 2020, we've all experienced friction in 2020, whether good years or bad years, right? There's friction all over the place. I truthfully believe that that friction can spark in the people of God hope that starts to ignite their life. And so hope is this tiny, small thing that seems irrelevant and can die out. But as soon as the Holy Spirit gets involved, that gets fueled to, to become like a raging fire within you of faith, where you walk into situations confidently and you're like, this is what my life is about. This is what I'm called to do in this situation. And those are different situations that you're called to. I talk to mostly high schoolers, but sometimes middle schoolers all the time about this idea. It's like, hey, we, re- we want to be really, really passionate about Jesus and follow him radically with our lives, right? And sometimes they're like, okay, I'm just going to drop out then and go to church all the time. And I'm like, no, that's not really what he's calling you to do. Most of the time, Jesus doesn't actually call us to do different things. Sometimes he does, but mo- more often than not, he changes us to He calls us to do the things that we're doing differently than we were doing them before, because that's going to stick out. And so when we see hope as this spark igniting a fire in our lives, it actually transforms our lives. So just a quick example of this in the Bible. So Romans 4, 18 to 21, you can flip there with me if you want to see it. Um, It will be on the screen. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So the setup here is what we see in the verse. Abraham and Sarah's bodies were as good as dead. That's not a very nice way of saying they really can't have children anymore. But God had promised to Abraham a son that eventually the Messiah would come through. He didn't say, use those terms at the time, but he would bless Abraham with a son, and that son would have descendants that would bless the entire world. And so all Abraham has to hold on to is a promise of God. That's it. There are no circumstances that seem to point him to that, but Abraham, against all hope, against all circumstances, in hope, believe that on the off chance that this thing comes through, I'm going to believe. And so we, we see in scripture that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And so this tiny thing of hope that, man, there's a chance that God is who he says he is, and his promises will not fail to me and to all of us, that hope, that spark can become a, a fire that ignites in our life and transforms the world around us. So hope is a spark igniting the fire of faith. Last one, hope is a light shining in a dark world. A light shining in a dark world. So light and spark seems very similar, right? Okay, spark is kind of getting at this idea that I just said, a small thing igniting the fires in your own life that actually begin to transform the way that you live your life. A light shining in the world is what we are all called to do as believers. Light shines in the darkness so that our dark world would come to know the Savior that we've come to know. And if you're here and you're like, I don't know Jesus or somebody just invited me, we want you here. You're welcome here. You do not have to believe to belong. You can learn from being here. And if you have questions, there are a lot of people who would love to talk to you through that. Seriously, like this is a good place for you to be to ask questions and to be around it. But light, we believe that that image, that metaphor throughout the entire scripture is an image of God showing himself in a world that has been dark for so long. And so 
In, in the scripture, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel has a lot of festivals they did to remember what God did for them, to try to remind themselves that God is for us and he is so good and he has not failed us. And so one of the festivals that they had was called the Festival of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes called the Feast of Booths. So part of that celebration, they would try to remember, remind themselves that God guided them through the wilderness when they were coming from Egypt to the promised land with a pillar of fire. So what they would try to do is they would try to light up the entire temple, the whole temple mount, so that in Jerusalem you could see the light shining day and night during this whole festival. So think pre-electricity. If you have a ton of lamps and fires burning, it's really going to light up a space. And then we get to Jesus' time. We believe the temple at Jesus' time, the Holy of Holies, where the Jews believe God's presence resided, was a 20-story tall structure made of entirely marble, like 100% marble. And so that thing is going to shine pretty brightly when the lights are all around it. We also believe there were four 75-foot menorahs, like lampstands, that they built to use during this festival. So all of these lights are lit. The entire temple is lit up. There's fires burning everywhere, standing out in the darkness, even standing out during the day. That's how bright it was from, from the accounts that we read. This is the situation that Jesus stepped into and said, I'm the light of the world. So think if you were there this thing standing out in the darkness, right? Like this image is so Christmassy of Christmas lights standing out in the darkness. I love Christmas lights. Think that image, like they stand out, you can see them. And into that, somebody has the audacity to step in and say, I'm the light of the world. This image, this pillar that used to guide you that we're trying to remember right now, the reality of that is here. That is just a shadow. That's just a reminder. That's just a piece of the truth of who I am. And so into that, Jesus stepped and said, I am the light of the world. The world has no true light outside of Jesus. And the thing is that we are called, we've been told through scripture, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that you are the light of the world. So he decided to put his light within us that we could carry it to the world around us. We're called to be the city on the hill, and that happens in our individual lives, person by person. And so I want to read a scripture that kind of captures this idea. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, it says, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we grow in reflecting the light of God. It says that right before that with ever-increasing brightness, we reflect his glory. But it also says that we have this treasure, this light of the world in jars of clay. And so I think of this image, think of, think of a vase or one of those like ornate ancient pots, right? Like if we want to think about one of those, jars of clay, that's each of us. Like we are the jar of clay. We also live in broken bodies that can get sick and that can die. And we live in a broken world and we've gone through broken things, each one of us. There's pain in each of our stories. And so when I think of this image, I think of a pot, right, that has cracks in it, like there's pieces missing. And through those cracks, the light of Christ is shining to the world around you. So more often than not, we sometimes feel like the brokenness, the hurt, the mistakes we've made disqualify us from God's presence. Those are actually the very things that God wants to use you to shine the light around you. And so whatever you're struggling with, whatever 2020 has been for you, there's a really good chance that God's looking to use that thing as the thing that drives you to bring hope to the world around you. And so it's just a powerful image and, and I want us to see this in, in person. So Mike, if you wanna give me that candle and lighter. 
We're gonna do a little, little science experiment because you know, you and I both know, if you can see in a room at all, like if you are able to see, there's light present somewhere, right? Like there has to be light to be able to see it all. And so what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna turn all the lights off. Y'all can go ahead and turn them off. Nobody move, everybody just kind of stay safe for a minute with us and just let the lights be off. I'm gonna light this candle. What I'm gonna do is, there's a lot of stories about Christmas. We read a lot of scripture about it, about Jesus coming with different focuses, but one that we forget is about the story of Christmas is in John. So I'm gonna read that over all of us. So John one says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was proclaimed as Emmanuel, God with us. And so he came in the form of a human baby that we might know and experience that light and that we might become children of God. The angels proclaimed to the shepherds that they had good news of great joy for all the people. It says in other places, prophecies about Jesus' coming, that he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's most of us, if not all of us in this room. So he came at Christmas to remind us and to bring light that shines in the darkness. Because the truth is, light is going to stand out like this candle standing out in this room right now. We can all see this candle. Yes, we've got a, a little bit of light coming in from some of the doors and different things, but we can all see this candle shining in the darkness. And so the truth is when you and I carry that light in the places and spaces that we walk into, people are gonna notice. In verse five, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So that's a little bit of a, a double entendre in Greek. It means overcome, it means surpass. The darkness cannot overcome Jesus, but additionally, it kind of means like to understand, to grasp. And so when we carry this light into our world, there's gonna be questions sometimes. Peter says, always give a re be able to give an answer for the hope that you have. When you walk into the spaces and the places that you walk into, however insignificant or significant they feel, we're all on equal footing, yet we all have the opportunity to show this light to the world around us. So if you're in middle school, if you work in a coffee shop, if you're an empty nester whose kids have been gone and you've been in the same job for 30, 40 years, Wherever you are, you're there for a specific reason to shine the light like this light shining in this room right now. And so Christmas can be this reminder that hope is gonna stick out in our world. Hope is gonna stand out in a way that we don't expect. And so we can, we can turn the lights back on. I'm gonna put this lid on the candle. The band's gonna come up here. We're done, but 
you might have noticed that the title of this sermon was Hope is Coming. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago. We also saw in that quote earlier, the hope of glory. And we talked about how the hope that we have currently, we're not gonna fully experience right now. A lot of us in this room, if not all of us, whenever Jesus comes back, are gonna get sick and die. Like that's going to happen. We're still gonna have struggles. We're still gonna lose jobs. We're still gonna lose people around us. We're still gonna go through this hurt and heartache that our world has. But the truth is we get to experience his promises and pieces But the really good news, the thing that we can hope in and the thing that I think can shift this Christmas for us, ACC, is we celebrate that he came as a human 2,000 years ago, but we get to remember that he is coming back. The light left the world so that we could carry the light to the world, but I promise you it is guaranteed and it is done. It's been done since the beginning and it'll be done into eternity. Jesus wins and he's coming back for you and for me. And so when we find ourselves in Jesus, we can believe in that fact. There will be no more disease. There will be no more tears. There will be no more mourning. There will be racial reconciliation that seems far for a lot of us at times. There will be no dissension and no hurt because the promises of Jesus are that he is going to fulfill every promise that he made and he is coming back for his bride, the church. And so y'all can stand up with me. We're, We're gonna sing a song called another in the fire and we've sung it before but i just want to encourage you as we sing this song sing it retroactively back into your 2020 believing in the hope going forward into 2021 understand that even in the darkest and the brightest of circumstances christ was there with you in that moment in that darkness in that light working something in you that you probably couldn't see at the time you might not see right now but he's going to use in you and believe as we, as we get into the bridge of the song, I love singing this song because it just helps me see this picture of the fact that he is coming back for you and for me. He's going to make all things right. He's going to break us out of the things and the spaces that hurt us, the brokenness in our heart, the loneliness, whatever it is, you fill in the gap for yourself. You know what those things are. And so I just wanna encourage you, sing this out over yourself, your family, this past year and the year to come because he is for us and he will not fail. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for each and every person here this morning. Lord, thank you for Christmas and all of the fun, the lights, the family time, the meals and presents. And even in that, if if we feel like we're lacking or we feel let down from the Christmas season, Lord, I pray you would step into that and show them that there is promise because you came and you're coming back. And so Father, I pray for each of us in this room that we would celebrate this year and in the years to come and going into this new year, believing the best is yet to come. We go from glory to glory. And yes, there's gonna be trouble. There's gonna be pain, but you promised us that you have overcome the world. So all of its cares, all of its troubles, all of its strife, all of its problems, all of the hurt in us, you have overcome, you are overcoming, and you will overcome. And so Lord, I pray in this moment that we would encounter your presence and Lord, that your name, the name of Jesus would be lifted up and that light would shine through each and every one of us. Lord, speak to people in this moment in ways that only you know, in ways that they might not even be expecting. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for loving us first in Jesus' name. Amen.